Good morning, everyone, and welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, this is going to be a very interesting conversation. I feel like it's a timely conversation as well, given uh, that we have over 2 million people in the, in the prison system here in the United States. 95% um, of those people that are incarcerated are going to come home one day. And we have a really unique opportunity to shape the world that they're coming back to. Um, most people coming home are going to return to a community that's fraught with racism, unemployment, homelessness, and poverty. It's a devastating cycle that disproportionately impacts communities of color. An estimated 19 million Americans are impacted by the collateral consequences of a felony conviction. And formerly incarcerated individuals are often limited to low-paying jobs with little opportunity for long-term career development. Research shows that a lack of stable employment drastically increases the likelihood that an individual will return to jail or prison, making joblessness a leading predictor of recidivism. And this is closer than you know. One in three Americans have a record. One in five have a family member who's been incarcerated. It can be easy to fear, misunderstand, or dismiss people who've been incarcerated when they, have not, when they are not seen as individuals with their own stories, strengths, and dreams for a future. A subsequent problem, corporations are set up to automatically disqualify formerly incarcerated individuals. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Kenyatta Liao, and I am the executive director of an organization called Next Chapter. And what we do is help people who are formerly incarcerated learn technology skills as software engineers so they can enter the tech space and pursue their dreams of being engineers. Um, I have been formerly incarcerated myself. Um, I spent over 20 years in the California prison system. And I know firsthand what it feels like to come home and be denied access to employment and housing because of my background. And so when I was incarcerated, I helped start a program called The Last Mile. And through that program, I was introduced to Slack for Good and the work that uh, the folks there were doing. Um, we've collaborated and formed an organization called Next Chapter that I lead. And today we're going to be discussing, you know, the impact of this program, um, both from an individual uh, perspective, also from a corporate perspective. And <clears throat> with that, I'd like to introduce our esteemed uh, guest today, uh, Mr. Sumit Lau, a former Next Chapter apprentice and a software engineer at Slack, and Lynn Oldham, the Chief People Officer at Stash. So Sumit, let's start with you. Um, your journey from Next Chapter to Slack Tell us about that. Um, when did you first learn about Slack and what was going on there? Yeah, um, so good morning, everybody. My name is Samit. Um, I first learned about Slack and, and all the work that Next Chapter was doing while I was incarcerated at San Quentin State Prison. Um, this was back in 2015, 16, maybe, when uh, Next Chapter was just probably an idea in your head. Um, but... Yeah, it, it, it all started from there. Um, I was learning how to code um, through the Last Mile program. I knew that I had really good skills that I could probably, you know, get start a career with. Um, but the reality was that corporations, tech companies, they wouldn't look past my my backgrounds. So 
I was uh, I was really worried that coming home, even though I had all these skills, I wouldn't be able to do anything with it. And I think that's the gap that that next chapter tried to fill, and and you guys did fill uh, alongside Slack. Um, the very first time I met Slack uh, or, or anybody from Slack was uh, when Stuart Butterfield came in um, and Deep D came in with the Slack for Good team. Um, it was it was nerve wracking because I first of all I never met a CEO and. Um, for him to come in there and, and see the work that I was doing and say that it was relevant to say that people at his company are using the, the exact same programming languages that I was learning, it really meant a lot. Um, and, you know, I, I remember asking him in front of everybody that that very first day, uh, would he hire somebody like me coming home from prison? And his answer was absolutely. Um, I, I think that that gave me and everybody around me a lot of hope. Um, we, well, we believed him and, and we believed in Slack and, and the work that they were doing. And because of that, we came back the next day and you could see everybody just working 10 times harder. Um, everybody just, just wanted to get there and, and they wanted to fulfill their dreams. And uh, yeah, that, that, that's how I, how I first met you guys. Yeah, hope is a really, really powerful tool. You know, when I was incarcerated, I remember um, some individuals coming in and giving me the same hope, you know, for a better future for myself. And it made me, you know, dig 10 times deeper than I was already digging and work 10 times harder than I was already working. Um, but getting out is still a challenge. You know, m ladies and gentlemen, when most people come home from prison, you know, they're faced with a, a lot of collateral consequences. Um, and these collateral consequences can come in the form of, you know, not being able to you know, being denied employment, um, being denied housing, you know, it makes it really, really difficult. And the end result is, you know, five, uh, people that are formerly incarcerated are five times more likely to be unemployed than uh, the general population. And that's a staggering number. And we think about it, this impact that it has on not just the individuals, but also the families as well is, is critical. And so what we're trying to do with this work is really minimize those challenges that they face when they're coming home and really help them get on a trajectory for success. And I think, Samit, you're a perfect example of what that success looks like. Um, can you tell us uh, a little bit about how uh, the experience that I just described for people coming home, I mean, how does that resonate with you? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's real, right? Um, like, coming home, I, there was a lot of uncertainties. Um, despite all the work that I did on myself to, to become just a better person and, and do good in society. Um, there was a lot of opportunities that just weren't open for me. Um, and it was hard for me to follow my dreams to, to become an engineer because like even navigating the parole system, my parole officer just wanted me to go get a job at like, you know, a, any store, right? And just work a nine to five to, to please him and, and make the, the system look good and, and you know, for me to show something on paperwork, and um, the the few of the pro officers I had, they they laughed at uh, my aspiration of becoming a software engineer. Um, so I, I think I think that was really tough, and um, just you know, not having like income or, or any resources uh, geared towards reentry, that that was really difficult. Um, 
even with all the skills I had, I applied to around 83 jobs uh, in the tech industry. I have a spreadsheet of uh, everyone I ever came in contact with. Um, and out of those companies, I got about four interviews and uh, I got two in-person interviews. And even though they all said I was qualified to do the job, uh, the minute they ran my background, they denied me of, uh, of working there. So, I mean, these are, these are like real life, current, you know, situations that, that formerly incarcerated people coming home have to go through and um, it shouldn't be a barrier anymore. Yeah, it's tough. You know, I think that uh, there's so much uh, stigma around and stereotypes, quite frankly, around people who are leaving incarcerated settings. And a big part of this work is really shifting perceptions around the folks that are coming home. And I want to turn to you, Lynn. Um, you know, your work at both uh, Stash and Zoom has been impactful, you know, with this work. And can you tell us a little bit about um, the work that you've done in shifting perceptions at both of those places? Yeah, I, th I think, um, you know, I came up in the system with the, with the box that said, are you, you know, have you ever been arrested or, you know, so I, it, it, I had a revelation along the way um, before I even met you around the idea that you're, I worked for a company that employed people in prison and I actually went into um, prison for the first time in my life um, and it was such a game-changing mind-changing, mind-blowing experience um, to listen to and watch folks work um, who were really wanting to change their lives and learn new skills so that when they moved on from that, or we used to call it graduated, from that situation, they, they could find gainful employment. So at that moment in time, I had... Um, a shift in how I, you know, what all the movies and the TV programs taught you about prison. Um, and I, I thought differently. And, and when I met these guys from Next Chapter, it seemed, it, it seemed, you know, just like you should do it, right? So at Zoom first, I actually, um, we, we brought on two interns through the program. Um, selected and went through uh, internship with us. Both were hired. Both are still uh, engineers at Zoom. And so when I moved companies, um, I brought that to my new company, Stash. And same thing, we're in the middle of the program at this point. We've uh, selected two. They're in the middle of getting their last bit at Hack Reactor. And then they'll join us uh, come this summer and hopefully also become employees after their internship. So um, it really took that like shift for me to see that this is all about um, people just wanting to, to change their lives and give, get opportunity um, that they couldn't otherwise get. So um, working um, at this with these guys has been really rewarding and, and interesting and, and exciting, watching folks really get to that next level through gainful employment and, and jobs that really matter. You know, that uh, <laughs> getting to the jobs uh, and just going through the training, I mean, it, it's, it's a lot. It's a very rigorous program that we offer. Uh, it starts with a, a, a lot of interviews, both internally with our team and then interviews with our corporate partners. And then if they're accepted, 
Um, they start a, a three-month uh, boot camp at, uh, with our education partner, Hack Reactor. And I'm not sure if any of you have ever heard of Hack Reactor, but it's a really intense 12-week boot camp, 12 hours a day, five days a week. Um, it's no joke. And so we actually offer a living stipend so that the folks can really focus on um, you know, what they're learning as opposed to having to do it part-time. Um, once they complete Hack Reactor, then they're placed at, with one of our hiring partners for five months. And during that five-month period, they work alongside the engineering teams. They're able to learn, just put themselves in a, in a position of a student and just learn as much as they possibly can. And if they meet or exceed those expectations at the end of five months, they can earn a full-time position. And thus far, we have over 40 people that have achieved that and are now full-time engineers with uh, one of our 14 hiring partners. And I couldn't be prouder of the, the work that many of these folks put in. I think one of the biggest um, uh, just kind of um, misunderstandings about people that are coming home is that, you know, that we're lazy or that we can't work hard. And I couldn't disagree with that more. These are some of the most hardworking, dedicated, just trustworthy individuals that you'll ever find. And I'm really proud to... Uh, to be able to support them in the way that we do. And, and uh, talented. And talented, exactly. I mean, this guy right here, he'll be starting his own company pretty soon. Um, so Samit, what was your process like? Uh, can you tell us about your interview at Slack and how that uh, worked for you? Yeah, um, b before I do that, I just wanna say that Hack Reactor was uh, six days a week. and <laughs> I stand corrected. 12, 12 hours a day, and then on your one day off, um, you were likely doing homework, or you were working on a project, or you were running study sessions uh, with uh, your cohort, and uh, it, it was no, no easy task, uh, that's for sure. Um, and definitely like that living stipend helped because, yeah, those three months, uh, those stuff. Um, but yeah, I think, so, f so for Slack, um, it was actually, the, it, it was really easy for me, um, to be honest, because um, walking in there and knowing that Slack already knows of my background and that they're accepting of it, it allowed me to focus on the hard stuff, which was the technical questions. Um, and, and that's the hardest part of an of a interview at a tech company, going through, um, going through you know, all, all the rounds of interviews and, and talking about your technical capabilities. Um, it, it allowed me to focus on that. It allowed me to really showcase my, my skills as an engineer and not worry about how the person is going to perceive me uh, because of my background or not being, you know, worried about not being given a fair chance. Um, so I, I think, like, that's why I felt really comfortable going into the interview with Slack. Um, the, the people that I interviewed with, it was about four or five people. Um, it, it went by really well. The hardest one, um, I say, was uh, well, with my man with my manager, my current manager, Drew, um, because he, you know, he had met me uh, when he came in uh, to San Quentin State Prison, and uh, he, yeah, it, it, we had a lot of just deep conversations about the work that we would be doing and the impact it would it would bring. Um, and, and yeah, it, it was it, it was really good. So tell us about your, your your first day at Slack. What was it like walking into 500 Howard for the first time as a Slack employee? 
uh, it, it was tough. It was tough na navigating that. But I think because um, Slack had already done a uh, next chapter cohort uh, right before mine, um, they identified the pain points um, that that it took to onboard um, uh, the apprentices and and you know go go through the the full time hiring. And so it was pretty. It, at that point, it was pretty painless. Um, the, the toughest part for me was uh, having that imposter syndrome set in and feel like I didn't belong. Um, I think that was that was real, and, and it stuck with me for about a year, year and a half. And uh, one thing that Next Chapter provided was the professional uh, coaching um, while, while we were going through the apprenticeship, and that really helped. And, and it helped me develop as a person, and you know, helped me fill my role in as an engineer, um, because I, I think you know what we call how to talk to people and, and how to interact, like we call those soft skills. But you know, as you and I talk about, those are the hard skills. And for me, it was really difficult to uh, figure out how I'm going to interact with my coworkers who come from a very different background, and and you know, they they come from different educational backgrounds. And uh, I was worried about how I would fit in. Um, that that was my biggest concern. But uh, Slack really made me feel like I, I really belonged. Um, the professional coaching from Next Chapter helped. And uh, meeting with, with, with you and, and Dan, who is Next Chapter's um, uh, head of engineer, uh, right, at that point, um, really helped um, me solidify my role. That's awesome. All those layers of support make a difference, you know? So, Lynn, I know that we're just getting started over at Stash with Next Chapter, so there isn't a whole lot that you can, you know, talk about in terms of outcomes there, but can you talk about how the program is going and some of the other outcomes that you've witnessed uh, over at Zoom? Yeah, I was, I was thinking as you were talking, Sameet, that it's really important um, for an employer that is going to embrace this, that they really think about how to ensure that you do feel comfortable from day one, that you feel included from day one. And that's a little bit easier in, in the environments of today in terms of workforce, uh, because I think um, people get it uh, more than, than they did when I was coming up. But I do think that there's something you have to do to prepare the, the ground for, for the program. And at, at Zoom, the next chapter was really helpful to us in figuring out how to do that. And we did some really great things as we, as these guys were in Hack Reactor getting their final uh, finishing touches. We we did a screening of, of um, just uh, just mercy, and we had a talk with Brian Stevenson. He opened the floor to questions of our employees. It was very um, it was an opportunity for our employees to also think about all the things we're talking about today and um, embrace the topic, so that when our interns got there, they were feeling comfortable and um, and and understood uh, by the population. I think at, at Zoom, um, the two uh, gentlemen that we selected did so well. I mean, they, we had just gone into pandemic. So um, I think we, we were heading up for interview training the day that... Um, they, we called it and closed the office. So when the intern started, we were closed. They were working remotely. So it was interesting and different and maybe um, serendipitous. I don't know, but it, it worked out really well. They got onboarded. 
they got started. We had your help. We had the coaches. Um, and a very successful program. I mean, so much so that obviously I've repeated it um, at Stash, but it, it really did work very well. You know, we're so grateful, um, both for you and everybody over at Zoom, you know, for the work that they've done to, you know, to bring the program, you know, on board and get everybody up to speed over there. I'm really looking forward to what's happening next over at, at Stash. But um, I want to talk, to, if you could tell us a little bit about what you think about the role that uh, companies play in, in breaking down barriers and, and being champions for fair chance hiring. Yeah, I, I mean, I think... That's where change happens, right? Because obviously if, and, I, and I've, even today, I, I still hit the stigma when I talk to certain people and I've got to sort of bring them over the, over the hump. But it's, it's if companies um, can start this revolution, right? We're going we're, we're to work workplace revolution track. If they can start the revolution, I think that uh, ultimately, um, it will catch fire and keep going. I think the success that I saw at Zoom um, got me a conversation with our leadership at my new company, um, and they were much more interested in, to listen because of the success. So the idea is when you know we can make this thing blossom as companies embark with Next Chapter um, and tell their stories, I think ultimately companies will see it's not that big a deal. This is not so hard to do, um, to, to, uh, to borrow from your uh, terminology, to recycle human beings in a way that's productive and allows folks, I mean, we're all just one, the worst moment of our lives away from, what did you say, one in three? Right. So if we think of it that way, I mean, there was one young lady um, in in um, that I met in uh, the Televerdi program who was um, unfortunate, had had a uh, unfortunate thing happen, ended up in prison at 19. Um, I met her when she was 26. She started in data um, and she was data analytics. Brilliant. And you think. That could have been my daughter, could have been my, you know, so, so you, th you think through it from a human perspective, um, and corporations are all just a bunch of human beings, right? Um, we, we, can, we can make change. We can make change happen. So, I, and I, I'm all about it. That's right. Yeah, we, um, I mean, we as America have come up with a thousand ways to make sure a plastic bottle or an aluminum can gets a new life but far too few to make sure that somebody getting out of prison does. And Samit, can you talk a little bit about, you know, how the program has impacted your life and, you know, some of the changes that you've been able to make as a result of, you know, your progress that you've made? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, I mean, the next chapter has given me the ability to pursue my passion and, and you know, it get me into the career that I wanted to, to get into. And uh, I think that that speaks volumes because... Um, there, you know, for me coming up, there was, uh, as a young kid, there was no, nobody that I knew that, that were doctors or, or engineers or lawyers. Um, nobody knew how to code. And, uh, so for me to be able to say that, yeah, I'm in this role, despite my background speaks volumes. Um, as far as like the impact that this has had on me, um, well, one of the most important, right. And, and, 
Um, just realistic things is that it provides that financial freedom. Um, a lot of the the trouble I got into and um, the things I did when, when I was young was was that lack of financial freedom, the lack of education, um, because I was always looking uh, for ways just to get money, and um, I, I never knew that there was another way out. So being given this opportunity gave me that way out. And not only did it give me a way out, but it gave me a chance to give back to my community, to show everyone there, to show the younger folks that, hey, like we could do something else with our lives. And if that helps you know, one or, or two kids in my community and helps them get out of that situation, we could make this world a better, better place. And so, I mean, yeah. Absolutely love that. So Lynn, what would you tell companies or even individuals um, who are thinking about this work, uh, what would you tell them? I think back to my earlier comments, for sure, um, if you want to get involved, you've got to bring your employees along the journey with you. Um, and that can be done in a various ways. Um, Next Chapter has a bunch of great ideas for you as you embark on this um, program. I mean, it's just about talking about it, destigmatizing, not necessarily um, uh, um, hiding. You certainly don't want to, you know, we, we did not parade our interns out in front of everyone. They, they maintained their anonymity, but we talked about the program as a whole and what it was doing for society um, and for these returning citizens. So um, laying the groundwork is really important um, to ensuring that your employees. Last week, uh, I was sitting with a new employee, and I was telling her about the program, and she, I could see her eyes. Like, she just she started to look nervous. And so I went into the whole, I almost did my own little onboarding with her around the program. Um, and I, I realized that she hadn't been part of the, the bigger discussions because she was new. So thinking about not only doing it once, but doing it continuously so that your employee population knows where you're coming from, why you're doing it, um, and, and making sure that everybody's on the journey with you. And if they're not, then um, understanding where they're coming from and uh, helping them sort of get comfortable with it uh, as well. So I think at this point we're going to open up the floor uh, for questions from the audience. Does anyone have any questions about what we've discussed so far? Hi, I'm Betsy Furler. I'm with an organization called For All Abilities, and we help employers support all of their employees through the lens really of neurodiversity and learning disabilities, but our product actually helps everybody in the workforce. Um, we are partnering with a nonprofit in Houston um, with some um, people that are, are leaving the prison system to go into the workforce. But my question was around the impact of kind of the reasons that pe people get into the prison system in the first place, which is very often a learning disability or a different way of thinking that didn't fit in with the school environment. And so academically, they didn't see success and it becomes a... a domino effect. Um, so I'm interested in hearing if any of you have any um, thoughts on that and what's being done. I mean, so I think uh, I'll, I'll take that one and I'll try to answer it uh, to the best of my ability. But um, I think for me, that learning disability, it, it wasn't there. But like as far as education wise, uh, 
none of well, a lot of my my teachers and going to the education system they didn't see any opportunity in me and that's mainly because I mean I think like you said I just didn't know how to learn and and they didn't know how to teach me and that was like the biggest part of of my my lack of education it wasn't until I got into San Quentin where we had instructors and we had uh, mentors who like figured out my best way to learn right and they taught me those ways and for me it's like I learned that I could uh, learn through hearing so if I it, 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 like all the audio stuff for me it, it helps me best and so if I listen to a book I'll retain it more than I look at it and I never knew that about myself till I got in San Quentin um, so yeah I, I think like once we figure that out um, we can like go f go further, um, but yeah, that that's just my personal experience. And that's amazing that the prison system actually helped you figure that out. Yeah, well, I wouldn't say it's the prison system; it's all the volunteers and mentors that came in. Um, but yeah, it wasn't until prison. That's that's fantastic. The prison university project, right? Yes, yeah. yes. I'm a graduate of that program as well. It's amazing. <laughs> Uh, good morning, uh, Lynn, Sumit, uh, Kenyatta. Thank you so much for anchoring this uh, very important conversation. Uh, I'm Trevor Scotland. I'm with Reform Alliance. Uh, we're based in New York. Uh, we are in the criminal justice reform space trying to reimagine parole and probation. And, you know, you said some things that really struck a chord with me. Uh, 14 employer partners, 41-plus uh, success stories. Um, it sounds like you've cracked the code, no pun intended, right? Um, and it's like a blueprint. And so what I'm trying to determine, like what does success mean for you going forward and how do we really scale this so that uh, other corporations understand that this is a viable path for a workforce? Mm, that's a great question. I think when I think about success, I don't have to look any further than this gentleman sitting next to me. This is what success looks like. Um, and I think that when we focus on uh, bridging this opportunity gap and making opportunities available to more people, really focusing on how we can support them um, as opposed to taking away opportunities, we can really make a difference. I'm sorry, can you repeat the second part of your question? Just uh, how, how do we scale this so that other corporations, you know, you've got 14 on your list, on your roster, now how do we grow that? How do we get them to understand that you've proved this concept and scale this in a way that we really make an impact in terms of the workforce? That is a fantastic question, and it's something that we're trying to figure out as we speak right now. And how can think, we help? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll be in touch. <laughs> no, I, I think that uh, it's, it's really important for, um, you know, for key players at different corporations to really take a look at what's going on here um, with this work. I feel like it's, it's a win-win for everyone. It's a win-win for companies. It's a win-win for society. But you know, the, the reality of it is, though, is we have to overcome this fear. It's fear that's driving um, folks in these different positions to, you know, to not adopt this program. And so I think slowly but surely, as we continue to prove uh, the model of our work, that we can hopefully break down these barriers of fear and begin to engage more and more companies across sectors, not just tech, but I feel like we have a, 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 an opportunity to really make an impact across uh, in different industries as well, too. And so... Um, we got to overcome that fear. We got to bring more people to the table and we really got to have meaningful conversations around the real impact of this work, not just, you know, the fear of it, but the real impact that we can make in it. I do have one little follow up. So mm -hmm. a lot of what we see where we're able to make changes when we, we, um, introduce data driven solutions. So are you, uh, is there any work around, 
you know, looking at the success stories uh, and looking at the, the paths that those individuals took, the, the, the ecosystem that you've created, and, and creating metrics around that so that we can get more resources uh, for this type of work? Yeah, so we're really early on in terms of, you know, evaluating our program and really gathering the kind of data that we can use to, 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 to make that, you know, that move right there. But um, that's definitely on our radar. We are uh, focused on that right now, and hopefully by next time this year we'll have more awesome. to share with you Thank on you. that. Thank you, though. Good morning. Thank you. My question sort of expands on his of, of expansion. Have y'all found acceptance or uh, interest in the different state prison systems and private prisons? It would seem seem like uh, they would be interested in the work you're doing. Or, I mean, he, welcome to Texas. Here, you did wrong. You're locked up. We don't care about you. We don't even pay for our own children's education. Why are we going to pay for yours? But they may see your program as a way to to bring, free of charge even, bring uh, something into their system to decrease recidivism. So I mean, is, is there any interest that you've seen from prison administrations, from state administrations, federal, private? We have, we've seen interest from the state and federal level in terms of you know our program and what we're doing. However, we're not an in-prison program. And so we work with people who are coming back to the communities. And so um, I do think that there's a, a huge opportunity to implement more programs like The Last Mile, like Persevere, um, that actually teach these technology skills in an incarcerated setting um, that really help people um, get a leg up when they come home. Um, it's a conversation that I would love to have with officials um, in Texas and you know across the United States about the importance of this work. Again, we're really early on, but um, I'm hopeful that we will have those conversations with those folks in the future. Hello, uh, great panel. Um, my name is Dave. I'm actually here for the advertising and branding track, but this is my wife's space, and she works for the Center for Employment Opportunity, CEO, and was very excited when we saw this and wants me to ask this question for you all. Um, how can reentry workforce providers best connect with the employers opening to hire these returning citizens because they're starting up their own program for getting people IT jobs and they're struggling to find partners on the tech side that are willing to hire. I'm sorry, could you repeat the first part of the question? I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't catch it. So we build out the network okay. that they're able to find the tech partners that are excited to hire and willing to hire these folks. That is a great question too and I feel like we're beginning to do that right now. We're at the beginnings of a network right now, this growing network um, of different community-based organizations and corporate partners to really help us, you know, um, broaden the scope of the impact that we're trying to make together. Um, I feel like um, there's a huge opportunity for folks to reach out to us okay. um, to get involved. Um, and I think that it's, it's, it's conversations like this that we're having right now that can get people to lean in. But um, if you um, connect with me afterwards so we can, you know, have a little bit more of a conversation around um, how we might be able to get engaged with a CEO. We've worked with them in the past a little bit, but I'd love to have that conversation afterwards. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Can I add to that too, Dave, that I think important to reach the companies is through CEO networks, um, chief people officer networks, folks who are at the heart of hiring um, and putting them in a room and talking about this is really critical. I think that's a piece that has been lacking. I can tell you until recently I haven't 
had that opportunity even in my role. Um, and, you know, getting to know those folks, understand, having them understand the, all the benefits is really important. And then obviously me moving from one employer to the next to spread these kind of programs is not a bad thing either. But finding those friends of to, to keep, keep it moving. Lynn, you mentioned um, bringing employees along with you to make sure that they understand the programs and the benefits and all of that. Um, a lot of employees are probably going to have their own ideas about what formerly incarcerated people bring to the table. So can you talk a little bit more specifically about some of the tactics you're using to destigmatize the program and the people that come through it, as well as the, the privacy protections for the folks coming through the program? Yeah, that's, that's what I explained earlier. We, we definitely didn't... Um, have our interns speak to employees. We didn't want to put them in that position, obviously, um, but we used folks um, like Kenyatta, who, who came to a panel discussion with me uh, for Zoomies so that they could sort of hear from his perspective, not only about the program, but what the, the stigmatization was and how, 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 how that um, could be erased if we could be successful in this program. So um, we did things like that. We did the screening of Just Mercy. We had um, Brian Stevenson talk to us as well um, from criminal justice reform all the way to um, employment. Uh, so it was, we did a number of different um, discussions um, with different people and gave employees the opportunity to ask us questions so that it wasn't just a one-way dialogue um, and gave them uh, their, their, you know, opportunity to air their, their questions and concerns. Awesome. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for being here. It's a really good panel. I actually don't have a question, uh, but uh, a suggestion, uh, especially for the gentleman who was talking about how do we make this uh, come at scale. Um, and you talked about, you know, chief people, officer networks. There is a national group called the Society for Human Resource Management, or SHRM. Uh, that's a good way to reach out for anybody who's doing this kind of work. They have chapters uh, in every major city, and I, they would love an opportunity for people to come in and do that, so. Hi, uh, thanks for this wonderful panel. Um, I'm Bill Curtis Davidson. I um, work for a federal contractor, Cadmus Group, and we work for the Department of Labor initiatives, uh, managing um, initiatives on accessible technology uh, for people with disabilities being included in the workforce, but also uh, inclusive apprenticeships. So I have a couple of questions in areas that we're working in in support of the Department of Labor, and that is, um, you mentioned apprenticeships. Are these uh, registered apprenticeships or working through an intermediary, or are they more custom programs? My first more one. custom programs, not a registered apprenticeship yet, but um, I feel like that's... I, I would love to talk to you about that if you want to after word. Definitely. Thank you for that. Yeah. And then the second part, uh, also the Jobs and Infrastructure Act. I think everyone knows about that in the U.S., especially the investments being made. There's an important part of that act called the Digital Equity Act. And uh, states around the U.S. are building out digital equity plans. And one of the populations um, looked at for underrepresented inclusion is 
formerly incarcerated people. So looking at how do we get people into jobs that are um, part of the workforce development programs of states um, and the equity plans are being developed right now and then capacity and competitive grant making will occur in subsequent years. So that's another angle I'd love to talk to you about and we run, uh, we'll be running a think tank on that last uh, um, initiative. So anyone who's interested in that, I would love to talk to afterward. Thank you for that. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Hi there, my name is Star and I work for, a, uh, for Intuit. We're in the technology space as well. Um, and we have a program that uh, is dedicated to giving those who have taken a break in their career uh, to do caregiving or raising their kids to come back into the, the tech space. And through that program, we figured out that there are some unique benefits that um, these folks need in order to adjust to coming back into um, the technology space. Um, are there any unique benefits or resources that you've found are particularly helpful in helping with that transition period? You know, there are a number of programs that are online that are actually free, you know, that we leverage to help people, you know, um, to learn as much as they can once they come home. Post-incarceration education is a big component of our work, and so um, we don't have all the answers there, but we do try to point folks in the right direction so that they can be prepared. Um, maybe, Samit, do you have any, any additional thing to add with that? I mean, what was it like with your experience? Yeah, yeah I think... Um Mentorship uh, went a long way, and one form of that was um, through a Slack workspace called Underdog Devs. Um, there's like a community of developers that, that come from uh, diverse backgrounds that just want to help each other. Um, and that was one of the avenues that, that really helped me excel uh, and learn a lot about what other tech companies are doing um, and, and what I should be focused on uh, when I first came home. Um, and as Kenyatta mentioned, like a lot of the, the, the free resources, like free CodeCamp and um, so the one, Udemy. Uh, Udemy was, was really great because not only did they have um, software engineering tracks and, and courses, but they had just like leadership classes and, and how to take care of yourself classes. Um, so that, that really helped as well. I think there are a lot of 501c3s out there that um, do, do some of this work. Uh, I was part of one in Arizona called Arouette that helped with the other parts of life. Obviously, getting a, a, a decent paying job is one piece of that, but after coming home from prison, you have maybe family issues, housing, etc. So um, tapping into the 501c3s is also a good avenue for that. Thank you. Sumi, I have a question for you. Uh, you mentioned imposter syndrome, which I think all of us face, especially when we start a new job. So I was just wondering, like, do you keep in touch with fellow ex-chapter graduates? Do you guys all try to support each other throughout your journeys and your careers? Uh, you said next, uh, other next chapter graduates? Yeah. Um, yeah, we actually do that a lot at, at Slack, and we also have uh, another workspace uh, where we all just get together, and uh, we try to get together once a month and uh, just talk about, you know, difficulties that, that we still might be facing, or uh, we talk about resources on how to better um, help new next chapter apprentices um, get in and so where they don't, they don't feel or they don't go through what we went through. 
um, because you know there, there's just a lot of uh, all the technology we use is constantly changing. And because of that, we always want to make sure that all our resources are updated for new incoming candidates. Um, but yeah, well, that's what we do. Thanks. That imposter syndrome is real. <laughs> I have several conversations with so many apprentices that come through the program. That's a, a constant theme that comes up. And, you know, it's a difficult thing. But one of the things that I try to remind uh, the apprentices is that, you know, their path to where they're at today is equally as valuable as anyone else, you know? And so I just try to help them remember that. And it's, it's been helpful. I have to, you know, take my own medicine too, because I, I deal with imposter syndrome myself. But um, are there any other questions from the audience before we wrap up? Thank you for a wonderful panel. I'm a professor from UT Austin. Uh, um, I, what are kind of the uses of technology, potential uses uh, that help to bridge uh, the different temporal experiences? Uh, so, you know, high tech company, very fast paced uh, and a lot of freedom, but coming from a very structured setting and some feeling that actually the time freezes while you are in, in prison. Uh, so, what might be some of the opportunities uh, to bridge this temporality with technology? That is a great question. And I think that uh, it takes a lot for an individual to make the paradigm shift from an incarcerated setting into a corporate setting. Um, so we provide a lot of different support with the professional coaches, um, the alumni, the peer-to-peer -peer support to help you know folks uh, navigate that. But um, it's a real challenge, and it's different for every single person. So we just try to meet folks where they're at and really support them the best way that we can, just one day at a time. Yeah, you don't have a silver bullet. <laughs> yeah, and just to add to that, I mean, yeah, in, in prison it does feel like that time really does freeze, and when you come home you have so much time. Um, but, like, one of the things that helped me is doing exactly what I would be, well, what I was doing in prison, like, just working so hard. Um, because that's what people that came from Slack, like all the engineers and all the mentors we had that came inside, I kind of just mimicked their work ethic and what they told me. And like, I kept that when I was inside. And so when I came home, people told me I was working too much. And, and I, I think that was really interesting because, uh, I, I always thought that, you know, I had to work 10 times harder and, and maybe I did. But um, I think that's what a lot of the folks on the inside do. And, and when they come home, they're like, wow, like, you know, they're, they're pretty much, they're, they're really ahead um, at, at that point. So, yeah, uh, I, I think just like understanding what, what the work ethic is in the industry you want to go into. Well, thank you, Samit and Lynn, and to everyone else for joining us today. Um, if you have uh, any questions uh, about the work or maybe want to get involved, please feel free to, um, you can reach out to info at nextchapterproject.org uh, next or you can reach out to um, our partnerships director, Britannia Bloom, who's right here, who can help answer any other questions that you might have. But thank you again, everybody, for showing up today and have a fantastic day. <laughs>